Welcome to a post-draft edition of the Better Rivals podcast for Niners Nation. My name's Oscar. My name's David. And this is really an emergency podcast, an emergency <laughs> of sorts, uh, because honestly, we, you know, it, we drafted someone. Because fuck. Yeah. Like, yep, that's where we're at. Yeah. I mean, look, this is, uh, it's, it's at this point, it is 1022 Central. Uh, <laughs> we are now almost entirely through with the first round of the NFL draft. And the 49ers drafted tackle Mike McGlinchey from Notre Dame, 6'8", 315, first tackle in the class, and yet we're not excited. It's weird. Um, I think what it really comes down to, so if you're, let's start with why this makes sense, right? If you're trying to justify this selection and uh, why the 49ers would look to go this direction. Because, obviously, we didn't spend a lot of time. We didn't really talk about offensive line at all. We didn't talk about it offensive was, uh, line at all. It was it was kind of an afterthought. You know, we, we figured that they would address uh, guard at some point, kind of in the middle rounds, probably seemed to make sense because that was an immediate need. But we basically were like, look, tackle high wouldn't be out of the ordinary for Shanahan, but we think it's a year too early. And so we're not really going to gonna focus on that too much. And it turns out that's exactly what they wanted to go with. And I think that's the thing is this is a Shanahan pick. This has kind of been a staple at every spot that he's been at. They've taken an athletic tackle high. And, uh, you know, I think we're taken by surprise because we didn't expect that to happen this year. We thought that maybe that was like a next year pick. Um, but here we are. They get the, you know, I th- what I think was the top tackle on the board for for most people. Um but it really comes at the expense of, I think, a number of impact defenders that were still on the board at the time they were picking. Well, we'll get to opportunity costs in a second because I think that's an important concept to talk about. But let's talk first about why this pick makes sense for the 49ers. Well, you already talked about the scheme fit with Kyle Shanahan, and you talked about how he likes athletic tackles, and that's something that he's done often when he's trying to fill out the line. This is something that we probably should have seen coming. I mean, we saw the importance of the center and what that does for a Shanahan offense. Alex Mack, of course, did it in Atlanta. And then he signed Richburg here with the 49ers. And everyone was like, well, can he play guard? No, Richburg is not playing guard. He is playing center. And that's exactly what they signed him to do. And McGlinchey fits that mold. When you think of what Trent Brown does well, he's a great pass blocker. But we've noted it even before Shanahan showed up. We noted his, well, not inability, but his lack of successful reps when he was trying to get backslide blocks, especially in an outside zone. So we know that the outside zone's a staple in the Shanahan offense. And so when you look at someone like Mike McGlinchey, he is exceptional at run blocking. He had the fifth highest run block success percentage in the nation at 94.9%. And, and that's exact. And he's an athletic dude. He didn't test, so we don't have Peace Park numbers, but he had very, very good, uh, I think, 10-second split, three-cone, and other kind of short-area athletic drill uh, scores for someone at the tackle position. And so when you think of the profile that Shanahan's looking after, Mike McGlinchey fits it perfectly. And, and you think to yourself, okay, maybe it's a year early, but Trent Brown is in the last year of his deal. Yeah, that's so that's kind of the surprising thing, right? The reason we thought it would be a year early is, okay, you have Joe Staley still playing at a very high level. Um, you just basically gave him a pay raise, right, uh, this offseason. So you're expecting Joe Staley to still be around for at least another year or two. Um, and then you have Trent Brown, right, entering the final year of his contract. And that's the guy that we were like, okay, we need to see 
one more year of Trent Brown. The thing that we like, so I think from the beginning, like you mentioned, um, his fit as a run blocker isn't there, right? He doesn't have the athleticism that's really, uh, I think, needed to be able to excel at a high level in this run scheme. But you live with that because he's been a very good pass protector, right? So that's something that he's continued to develop uh, and has become one of the better, uh, I think, pass protecting tackles in the league right now. Um, and so you were kind of able to live with that because that's the important part, right? That's the thing that we've been preaching all offseason. It's what you do in the pass game is what matters most. And so uh, I think we figured that they would be okay with that tackle tandem for at least another year. Now you're in a spot where, okay, you have your first round pick taken in the top 10. Uh, we need to get him on the field. And so I think it becomes a situation where either A, Trent Brown becomes kind of the backup because you don't feel like he's a fit in, in really what you want to do. And you're going to use him as the swing tackle for one year and then let him walk when his contract's up. Or you're going to potentially look to maybe see if if you can trade him and get some sort of value for him because tackle is a is a very needed position in the league. There's a, a lot of teams that need good tackles. And so you're hoping that you can get something in return for him. Now, I, I personally think, of course, that the question that immediately came to everyone to everyone's mind immediately when you drafted McGlinchey is, do you trade Trent Brown? Can you trade him? Let's trade him. Let's get whatever we can. Let's move up back into the first sure. and trade Trent <laughs> Brown. Right? He's worth the first round pick. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be the reality. Two things. Yeah. One, I think that the team was really, really shook by having to start Zane Beatles and Eric Magnuson, who's not a tackle. He's really an interior nope. player. Uh, I, I think that they were very, very perturbed by the fact that they had to play non-tackles at tackle. And I don't think they want to get into that situation ever again. So I think that they are 100% comfortable with playing Trent Brown as their swing tackle. And I didn't watch the press conference, but I was reading Twitter. And apparently John Lynch said exactly that, that they are happy with the competition of the position and that they've lost a lot of players at tackle and they don't ever want to be in a position where, you know, they're starting Zane Beatles at tackle again. And, and I would argue that sure. you know, that's it's, a fine position to take. It's fair. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, you, you think to yourself, OK, but we also assigned Gary Guillam and, and I don't think that he's an answer at tackle either. I mean, he's yeah. he's he's a Seattle castaway. And and I don't think that he's someone that you can rely on. I think that you upgrade immediately at tackle when you're talking about starting McGlinchey and then having Brown as your backup swing tackle. I think that's an upgraded two positions. We're not going to get the opportunity cost yet, so we're still on the rosy side of things. But I think that that's part of the strategy. And then, of course, the other is that I don't think the team is going to is going to let him go because they value that swing tackle position. And I don't think they're going to be able to trade him. This is the second point. What are they going to trade him for? At this point, Trent Brown's trade value as a seventh-round pick and as a starting right tackle is probably not more than maybe like a fifth-round pick. I don't yeah. think it's like and, – and I think even a fourth is aggressive. But at that point, it's like why not uh, – what, what value does he have at, at that point to other teams when they think to themselves, well, I could probably sign another free agent tackle. This guy's going to be cut next year. They're not going to give a ton of draft capital to trade this guy away. So I think for the 49ers, he's probably more valuable on the roster. Yeah. For other teams, they're probably just happy to wait. It's tough because I think as far as, again, tackles go in the NFL, like teams need them, right? There, There is a, uh, a deficiency in, in terms of tackle play across the league. And so I think when you have somebody that has shown the ability to pass protect in the way that he has, I mean, I don't know. There's an argument to be made there. I think that that somebody would be willing to the combination of a 
a very, very cheap season, right? So he's still on his rookie deal. Again, you mentioned the seventh round pick. He's not making. He's making like under a million dollars this year. I yeah, think, I think it's like eight hundred thousand dollars. It's like the you know the uh, I don't know the equivalent of like Russell Wilson at quarterback. Let right? me, when he was making. Hold like, on. Uh, I'm going to get our intern team on it. I'll be right back. <laughs> um, and, and so you have a very cheap contract that you can get him for one year, right? At this cost controlled price. And then you offer, you know, you probably if you trade for him, you're you're likely wanting to give him some sort of extension. I think, you know, I don't know. I think there's probably some value there. It wouldn't be surprising to me if they were able to flip him for a, uh, some sort of mid round pick. I mean, you saw Martavis Bryant got traded uh, tonight for a third round pick. Um, again, tackles a very important position in the league. It's one of the most valuable positions that you've got. Um, and so I could see like, it wouldn't be, again, be surprising to see some sort of market there, but I, I think your point in terms of wanting some sort of depth at that position, uh, is, is completely valid. And, and it was, is something that they should consider, right? There's no need for them to get rid of him. Um, they, it's not like they should be dying to get a, again, another good player off their roster injuries happen. It's something that you have to deal with. Um, and, and having him there and knowing that you're going to be able to, you know, put him in if either Staley or McGlinchey gets hurt is, is a valuable piece to have. So he's making $1.9 million this year. His salary jumped up quite a bit, which is, I mean, that's still still nothing, nothing. It's nothing. Uh, yeah. yeah. So he started out at 435 K 525 K 615 K. And then it jumps up to 1.9 K, which is funny how they structure that seventh round draft pick. Basically they're like, if you make the team, if you're good enough to make the team, we're going to give you a pittance. If you're good enough to make the team for four years, that's finally when your salary kicks in. <laughs> that's, I mean, kind of a, it's a shitty way to, to structure a contract if you're a seventh round pick, but for the Niners, sure. it makes all the sense in the world. So, okay, so that, that when you think of McGlinchey as a player, though, so we, we talked about why the pick makes sense, at least for the Niners. Yeah. It is an upgrade at right tackle. It's more in the line of what Shanahan prefers from his offensive lineman. It's also at a position that Shanahan values. Everyone was talking about Quentin Nelson. And we know that Shanahan just doesn't value guards nearly as much as he values centers and tackles. This is part of the Shanahan model for building a team. We talk about how you you aren't going to necessarily go after that number one wide receiver because you can have a complementary set of wide receivers. This is what Shanahan believes. Shanahan believes that you can get a you know, really good value out of a pass, catching, a pass catching running back. That's what we see him do. Now, all of a sudden, you know, this is his model and blueprint for building a team. And, and so we didn't think that guard was going to be a thing. This is where it makes sense, especially when you see Trenton Brown's contract being up next year. But Mike McGlinchey is a player. He is a better run blocker than he is a pass blocker. And that's great, but it's also not great when you think about the fact that passing is what rules in the NFL. So how does this pick make sense in an NFL that is very much skewing towards the pass? And McGlinchey's a player whose rap sheet basically says, great against the run, maybe not so great for a top 10, you know, pick against the pass. And I think the thought process is, and and again, I don't know that I necessarily agree with this thought process, but the thought process is he's a fit in the run game, which we know Trent Brown wasn't right. So we know that he has the athleticism and he has like, I mean, he looks like a great tackle, right? He's got the big size. He's like six, seven, six, eight. He's got really long arms, but he's still kind of light and he moves well. And so he fits that sort of athletic profile that you're really looking for at tackle fits in the run game. And he's been, you know, okay in the past game, right? There's some things that he needs to work on there, I think. Um, But 
he has enough there and the tools are there that I think if you're the the 49ers, you're thinking, okay, we have the, the things here that we want to be able to work with and we're going to be able to improve that area. And, and so I think he's going to have some time, right? He's going to have Staley uh, that's there and he's not going to have to be like the, the top guy type of thing. Um, but I mean, it's, it's something he's going to have to work on past game rules. We know that, you know, that you want to be able to protect Garoppolo in the pocket um, edge pressure is still the most important thing, you know, as, as much as we've talked about guard and, and that being a problem, like the majority of pressure still comes from the edge. So it's important to have good tackles. Like, again, all of this makes sense until you really start to get to like what they left on the board by taking him. Yeah. So when you look at his grades over the course of his four year career, overall, his grades have been very good throughout his career. These are, of course, pro football focus grades. He had a, a, you know, a pretty crappy grade his first year, but that's, you know, he's a freshman. He probably had limited snaps. Once he started getting into the lineup full time, his grades were 87.3, 86.2 and 90.6 his final year, his senior year before he uh, declared for the draft. His pass blocking grades, 85.6, 84.5, 84.5. His run blocking grades, of course, were much better. 87, 88, and he ended up with a 95 run block grade this year. So we know that, you know, personal performance generally translates to the NFL by and large, irrespective of of position. And and so, you know, is he going to be the starting right tackle? Absolutely. But the key question is, what did the Niners give up by drafting him at nine? Because the board was set up perfectly. If you weren't watching, the quarterback started to fall. You had Baker go, of course, number one. But you had Rosen still, I think, on the board when the Niners were there. Yep. And you had Landry. You had Minka. Unfortunately, Roquan Smith went six to the Colts. But you still had your choice of a couple of key defenders. Derwin James uh, was still on the board as well. And the Niners passed up on all of these defensive prospects for their tackle. So what did the Niners give up in order to draft McGlinchey at nine? It was all of the top guys that we wanted, right? So, I mean, the only player that we had really talked about and and uh, had been fans of and, and thought that would make sense was Roquan Smith, right? He was he went to Chicago at eight. But other than that, everybody that eight, we sorry, talked to... Sorry, I said Colt at six. That was the uh, mock draft I did on the radio. <laughs> that, yeah, that was... Uh, they went with Nelson, right? But um, they... Everybody that we wanted, right? So all of the... You had Harold Landry there, which was the guy that we thought made most sense as a pass rusher. And then you had the defensive backs that were all there, right? So it was uh, Minka was still there. Derwin James was still there. So you had, I think, impact defensive players that were available that could have helped you win more right away, right? So I think when you look at 2018 and what was going to maximize our win total in, in 2018, you already had a pretty good set of tackles, right? Yeah, you can pick flaws in Trent Brown's game, but again, good pass protector. You can make do with him in the run game, and it was it would be okay, right? You, because you have a top tackle in Joe Staley there. It wasn't an immediate need. Um, this was definitely something that they felt like was going to be a future need and wanted to address. But we know that they had bigger needs on the defensive side of the ball, right? That true edge rusher isn't something that they have. They needed some help on the coverage side of things, especially in the middle of the field. That's where you're looking at Derwin James and Minka Fitzpatrick to really be able to help with those slot receivers, those tight ends. That was an area that they struggled in significantly. Um, And you had those players still on the board there. So I think the pick that helps you most in 2018 was going with one of those defenders. uh, And they're really, 
you know, betting on more uh, of a long-term pick. I mean, I think this was a pick that is made of, for a more established team, right? If this is a team that's picking in the latter half of the first round, you're pretty good. You're in playoff contention, if not in the playoffs already. And you see this one year ahead need at an important position, like go ahead and do it, right? Like that makes a lot of sense. I think with where the Niners are at right now, though, it, it's very fair to question whether they should have gone with one of those defenders because that's something that would have helped them more right away. Apparently, the Niners were in love with McGlinchey. And I think Tim Kawakami posted that the Niners did not want to bring McGlinchey in for an official top 30 visit because they didn't want to tip their hand. They didn't even want to check in with his cousin, who's Matt Ryan, because, you know, Shanahan and Ryan have a relationship. And they didn't even want to check in with Ryan because they didn't want to tip their hand either way. So apparently, they fell in love with this guy and wanted to draft him. And it seems like that fits kind of a narrative that we've learned about the team previously, which is once they fall in love with a guy, they're going to do, they're going to, they're going to yeah. target that guy. They're going to overpay for him, whether that person is McKinnon or use check and they're going to draft him, whether it's going to be McGlinchey or whether it's going to be uh, someone like uh, Ruben Foster trading back up into the first yeah. round or and even McKinnon, him. right? We're like, yeah, we like yeah. McKinnon a lot, but uh, you know, there's probably a overpaid or, for him a little bit. Absolutely. You know, so I think that those, those things are interesting. It shows a pattern of decision-making within the franchise. And, and I think that the idea of opportunity cost to me here is super important because what the thing that you gain is, is one part of the equation. Sure. But what you give up to gain that is really important. And, and it's not something that should just be discarded. And that's ultimately why we're not super excited about the McGlinchey pick. This is not to say that he's not going to be a good player. This is not going to say that this is not to say that he will not help the franchise in some way. Sure. But what you give up in order to, to do that, I think is important. The, the difference to me, the, the key here with opportunity cost is okay. McGlinchey is a better prospect than Trent Brown. I think both David and I would agree yeah. with that statement. Yep. He is a more talented tackle and he's probably going to start at right tackle from day one. He's not playing guard. No, yeah, get that out of here. Go ahead, that's go ahead and set happening. that aside. Yeah, he this plays is, uh, as much as Weston Richburg is playing guard. That's exactly not happening. right. That's exactly right. Not happening. So he is not playing guard. He is playing right tackle, and and you've got a swing tackle. The delta between McGlinchey and Brown at right tackle, there is a delta there, but it's it's not a huge delta. I would say not nearly as much as say the difference between Harold Landry and I don't know. Uh, whatever scrub we, yeah, like, like yeah, Peter T or uh, the guy we just resigned from New England. Uh, I'm forgetting his uh, name. Cassius Marsh. There you go. Yeah, the delta between Cassius Marsh and Harold Landry is quite a bit bigger. Yep. Than the difference between McGlinchey and Trent Brown, and of course Landry now is it, it's a bit weird because Tom Pelissero. He had a, a tweet that I, I retweeted just a couple seconds ago about how apparently Harold Landry is a medical flag for some teams because he's got issues with his knee and his back. And so that's something that we didn't know. We presumed yeah. he was going into the draft healthy. And, and so that, of course, changes things quite a bit. But it's weird because he tested healthy. But yeah, exactly. Neither, right. Yeah. And, and we didn't hear anything about it previously. There were no other teams that were like worried about his medicals or whatever. So but even then, if, if, if you're not talking about someone like uh, like Harold Landry, you're talking about other defenders like even Derwin James, that would still affect the game more. And I would argue very easily, I think, that the delta between James and whatever safety we have on our roster now is still bigger than yep. the delta between McGlinchey and, and Trent Brown. So it's that opportunity cost, I think, that really worries me 
because it is again another instance of the team being being completely stuck on a player and just grabbing that player even if it doesn't really make sense from a value perspective. Definitely. I think that's right now the biggest thing. Again, it's still early with this regime and we've talked about like each move they make we learn a little bit more about their thought process about, you know, what the things that they value um and, and all of that, how they approach team building. And so right now we're at a spot where they have made, I think, a few questionable moves in terms of valuing players. And, and they've kind of gone after specific guys that they think fit. And maybe that works, right? Like, uh, again, we're, we're definitely not saying that McGlinchey is a bad player. And I think that he will ultimately be good. And he seems to fit within this scheme. Uh, and, and all that's great. But eventually, like once you become a good team and you're paying a quarterback a lot of money and, and you don't have the loads of cap space that they have, making these decisions on value and what actually impacts your roster the most and what helps you win games the most is going to become very important. So I think these sort of decisions and, and understanding the difference between, okay, what I have now and how much is a, a player going to actually help me add more wins uh, in, in this next season is something that's, you know, a little concerning, right? Again, we have Malcolm Smith, we have use check, we have McKinnon. Now all sort of questionable contracts. Now this pick in the draft, um, at least, I mean, the, I, the thing that you fall back on is at least it's a premium position, right? At least tackle is yeah. a super important thing, but that's about as I think far, as far as it goes. All right. So final question, cause we're, we're, you know, wrapping up this emergency podcast and, and, you know, there's not much more that we'll, that we'll, I think, talk about when it comes to McGlinchey. But why why didn't the Niners trade down? Because the the board was set up such that a trade down would have been perfect. And you had the pick at nine. You had Rose and a quarterback that the Cardinals coveted. The Cardinals ended up trading with the Raiders at 10. Yeah. And and the Niners, I feel like, could have gotten a very similar, maybe a little worse deal, just because they were like, well, the, the I think the Cardinals probably could have played Oakland and the Niners off each other. Uh, but they they had a deal there that was to be made. Why didn't the Niners trade down and, and end up going with their guy? I mean, it seems like the thing you mentioned, right? They, the Kawakami uh, tweeted out that they were just in love with the prospect, and and this is something that they took. You know, it was in, it was more important to them to take this one player that they fell in love with than it was to you know gain value elsewhere. They thought that this was going to be the thing that made them better than moving back, accumulating more picks. And I, in, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, time will tell, but in this draft with, without having a lot of clear, like top end prospects, especially once you move beyond quarterback, if they had the opportunity to trade down, which is always the thing, right? It's easy to say, trade down, trade down, trade down. You need somebody willing to trade up. Uh, and, and so I think, in this case, because we know that in the very next pick, we had a, a team that was willing to do so. You had to think that they were on the phone and, and willing to move up with San Francisco as well. Um, I don't know. It's it's tough. Uh, it, it, knowing if they had that option to be able to move down and, and get some extra draft picks with a team that still needs players, right? This isn't a playoff team that's that's loaded. Like They still need help in a lot of spots. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. I think ultimately, when you look at what the the Cardinals were looking at, they knew that the Niners were not going to take a quarterback. So they yep. probably targeted the Raiders immediately because they were like, well, we're not going to lose our guy at nine. It, sure. It's going to cost us less to move to 10 than it will to nine. 
Yeah, the only reason, yeah, that you would think that to nine is you're worried that maybe somebody else will move to nine to get ahead of you. Right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so I think that they, I would have, they ultimately gave up the number 79 and a fifth rounder, 152, to move up to 15. If I'm the Niners, I'd probably say, just give me 79. Screw the extra fifth. Sure. Like, just, just give me the third round pick and we'll drop down five spots. Um, and yeah, I mean, you probably wouldn't have been able to get McGlinchey because at that point the Raiders probably take McGlinchey. And so I do think that that's probably the calculus they made. I think they made, I think they thought if we trade down, Oakland takes a tackle yeah. and, and Oakland took a tackle, I think eventually anyway, right? Like or when they, they traded yeah, down, they took uh, Colton Miller with yeah. the, the Cardinals pick. So. so they traded down and they eventually got that tackle. And, and I think the Niners probably thought to themselves, McGlinchey is the guy we're not happy with Colton Miller and we're not happy with anyone else that's going to be around there, especially because Roquan was probably already off the board. Yeah. So, and Minka at this point was already off the board as well. So, so yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, I think that's probably why they didn't trade down and that's probably why that offer wasn't as readily available to them within the division. And I think Arizona probably also had to think if I'm going to give capital to a team, I want to give it to the Raiders who are in the AFC. I'm not going to give that extra draft capital to the Niners and I'm not worried about anyone really jumping me and I'm not worried about the Niners taking a quarterback. So I think it was probably a calculated risk by, uh, by the Arizona Cardinals, one that paid off and they did not pay a whole hell of a lot. I think to go up and get their quarterback. No, I, I, so I I mean, I think final thoughts for me uh, on McGlinchey is one at the very least, they took a player at a premium position. Right. So tackle is important. Um, This isn't the same as taking uh, a linebacker or running back or something like that in the top 10. Right. That that would be, I think, very, very questionable to be able to make that sort of move. So you're taking a premium position, which helps. Um, I think the opportunity cost and questioning, you know, their ability to value players. Right. And how much that's actually going to help the team based on what's on the roster currently. Uh, is is kind of worth questioning at this point. I mean, I think there's a few questionable moves there uh, that that we need to keep an eye on and see if that becomes a pattern. Um, but this is a very Shanahan thing, right? So this is something, again, that we put aside because we felt it was kind of a year too early. But this has historically been something that Shanahan teams have done. Take a tackle early, whether that was... Trent Williams in Washington, whether that was Dwayne Brown in Houston, like there, there's a track record there of him taking tackles early in the draft. Um, and so from that perspective, it shouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. And I think my, my point is mostly just about opportunity costs. Yeah. It's not to say that, that he's going to be a bad player, that McGlinch is going to be a bad player. He may eventually be a fantastic player. And, and that's not the, the issue here. And as a Niner fan, I hope that he's a, that he's a great player. I hope that he is a, an, all pro left or right tackle wherever the dude decides to line up. That's not the question here. The question is in the process of rebuilding this roster, are you sensitive to opportunity costs and are you maximizing the value that you have when you have it? And, and I'm not sure that the Niners did that in this case. I think overall they do a pretty good job of maximizing their value, but I think there are a couple of instances where they haven't and those opportunity costs hurt. Um, whether they have you know, significant long-term impact, I think is still yet to be seen. Sure. This is obviously an hour after they made the pick or two hours after they made the pick. It's going to be much easier to judge this pick in three years. Yeah. I mean, this is all, you know, all we can do right now is take the information that we have. Um, and you're trying to make the best assessment that you can. Yeah. I mean, obviously 
when it comes to draft picks, it takes a few years to be able to see how things really play out. And it could turn out that, hey, all the defenders that we like in this draft turned out to be crap and, and uh, they made the right decision. But right now, I think based on the information that we have, based on how these players performed in college, all the things that we've talked about all offseason long that we think are important when trying to find players to build your roster, um, I think it's fair to question this pick. I mean, again, it makes sense on one level because we know Shanahan likes this. But I think there was perhaps a missed opportunity here. All right. So two final questions. Number one, given the, the you know, the, the thing that we've just heard about Landry's medical, do you want the Niners to trade up to get someone like Harold Landry, understanding that the opportunity cost again rears its ugly head and you'd have to give up picks in the meaty area of the draft in that second and third round? It's tough. I, I just don't think as much as I like Landry, um, and I think it depends. If if suddenly he starts to get into the mid part of the second round, I think you got to seriously consider it. Because um, at that point, it's not going to cost you a ton. Presuming his um, medical's okay. If, yeah. the, if the Niners are, if they have him as just bad medical flag, then obviously. And, yeah, I mean, if he's off the board because of some medical thing, I mean, that would be strange, right? Because the thing that we talked about all offseason with, with this is Landry had obviously medical questions during the the season and that we felt like impacted his performance. But then when you see what he did at the combine really excelled in like every area. And so that kind of makes you feel like, okay, he's physically healthy because he tested phenomenally. Right. So that kind of makes you feel like he's in a much better spot there. I mean, yeah, I don't know. If if he's suddenly off, we find out that he's off the board because of these medical issues, that certainly changes things. But um, presuming that he's okay in that front, um, you know, I think if he starts to slide a little bit in the second round, you probably have to consider it. But ultimately, again, this team still needs players. They need many players. One player is not going to fix everything for them. And, and having those, you know, picks right at the end of the second, beginning of the third, is a good spot in this draft to be able to get some players at positions that they need. Um, and, and I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to be a little wary. Trading up where they're at right now, probably not going to be a good idea. You are getting married in two days. So we Correct. are we are not going to have a podcast after round two, uh, nor will we really have a podcast until um, probably two weeks from now. Yeah. When, yeah, when I get back. Weeks. When I get back from Spain. So what do you want the Niners to do for the rest of the draft? Because our original plan, hopefully, was best defender on the board, whether that was, you know, whether it was Roquan, whether it was Minka, whether it was Landry, best uh, Derwin James, best defender on the board, first pick, and then get your other positions primarily around the kind of interior OL or those other positions that we need later in rounds two, three, and four, maybe cornerback and those other and those other positions. Now, of course, we've got line figured out round one. Yeah. So we've got a late second and a couple of picks in the third. Where do we go now, given the tackle pick in the first? So I think the depth still at, at wide receiver and cornerback still makes a lot of sense, right? That kind of played out the way that we thought, where there wasn't a lot of picks in the first round of DJ, those positions. DJ Moore, though, was first wide receiver off the board. Yeah, DJ Moore, right? And Just we like we thought. Yeah, we said that, again, you're going to see players at those positions kind of go. I don't know that too many people had DJ Moore as the number one wideout, right? But, uh, hey, man, he was the number one wideout in my heart. We we loved him. Um, 
And a cornerback, you know, we figured that Denzel Ward was going to go early. But Josh Jackson's still after, on the board. Yeah, Josh Jackson's still there after the end of the first round. So corner and receiver are are positions that have a lot of talent still. And they have, because of those kind of varying styles, you know, there's likely going to be good players available that fit what the, the, the 49ers want to be able to do. So I still think that needs to be kind of a focus here on day two. Um, you know, guard, I, I would be surprised if they went back to O-line um, right away there. So I, I think, yeah, yeah I don't, I don't think those, they go guard at all. Yeah, I think offensive line is toast until yeah, you get into like the fourth, three, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fourth or fifth round, day three. But but yeah, but I think ultimately at this point, cornerback and wide receiver are game, areas man. to target. And honestly, yeah. when, when you think of when you think of edge, because this is not a great edge class, but Harold Landry is still there. We talked about if he's still there in the middle of the second round. But at this point, if Harold Landry is going down this far, presuming it's not a medical issue. I think that once you get to the third and fourth round, you start to consider Josh Sweat because the problem with Sweat for us, at least for me, was that I didn't like his tape and I thought that the type of profile that he had was someone that you take a flyer on later in maybe the fourth round, but that you could still get other positions of value in the third. But if the way the board is falling, if he's still available late third, early fourth, I think that is where you take a flyer on him and you say, hey, let's hope the athleticism plays out. And let's hope that that you end up actually producing. It, my my problem was always drafting him too early because it was a shallow edge class, sure. and so you would have had to have spent a second round pick to get someone with his profile. But it it doesn't look like that is the case thus far. If you can get him in day three, I think that makes a lot of sense. Again, the the athleticism. He's one of the few players in this class that hit the athleticism requirements at edge that you really like to see for players that have kind of historically done well and been able to produce at a high level. So yeah, I think you get to day three, suddenly he becomes an option. I think with your three picks though, your wide receiver corner need to be the focus. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, you start to see again, right? You're looking at the spots that are deep in this class, right? Yeah. You want to really find that value wide receiver corner. I think running back uh, is a spot maybe with that last one. It wouldn't be surprising to see them to go that direction. Um, but you're really looking to find those positions that have a lot of players still available that, that are talented, right? You don't want to go to the weak positions here. Once you get to day three, again, it, it's yeah. kind of more you're, you're making sacrifices in certain areas and, and, and you can go with the top athletes or you can go with the guys that just produced at a high level but didn't meet your testing requirements and things like that. So, uh, yeah, early on. Wide receiver corner needs to really be the focus. I think the position group that could be interesting for the Niners on day two is tight end. Hayden Hurst. Man, Dallas Goddard's still I there. Know. Yeah. Hayden Hurst went uh, as the first tight end off the board at 25 to Baltimore. And and I think with Gasecki and Goddard on the board, it, I could easily yeah, see that's both a of good the point. I could easily see both those players getting picked in the first half of the second round. Who knows, right? But I could easily just the way things are falling, I could easily see a run on wide receivers and corners in that second round. And then one of those guys falls into that late second. And if Gasecki or Goddard falls to the late second, I think that's exactly where the Niners, you know, can pick that up. And so, man, if Goddard's there when they pick at the end of the second, yeah. I mean, that needs to be a huge yeah. consideration because, yeah, I, I think he's the best tight end in this class. And it was somebody that we didn't talk about a lot because we didn't expect him. We thought he was going to be a first round prospect. Um, and and I think that he helps their passing game tremendously. You think it about what Shanahan does well. Uh, in terms of a scheme standpoint and what Garoppolo does well uh, with his 
his throws and what we've seen from him so far, it's middle of the field stuff, right? Where the tight end can work. Um, and Goddard being a, a weapon there, he serves the purpose. Everybody wants a big target in the red zone as well. He can serve that. Um, so I think, yeah, if, if he manages to fall that far, uh, that would be incredible. Yeah. And then I think the other position is, t- is a linebacker and that's off ball linebacker. So sure. I think that that's the other, and this is a position that is fairly good in this class. And a lot of players have gone off the board at this point. I mean, Rashawn Evans, Edmonds, Van Der Esch, Smith, those are all off the board, but I still think someone like, and this is the kind of linebacker edge hybrid, someone like Shaquem Griffin, some that we were both in on uh, in our last podcast, who could yeah. be available maybe in one of the third round picks. I think that would be a good pick. Josh Sweat on day three. Like, that's the kind of area I'm thinking. I think yeah, you t- get that early day three. I think uh, somebody like Sky Moore from South Carolina makes a lot of sense. He's one of those players. So, again, you, you talk about I need to make kind of sacrifices in one area or another. He's a guy that didn't test well athletically, but just produced very well, was a very good coverage linebacker at South Carolina. Um, so somebody like that, day three, makes sense. You know, um, Yeah, I, I think linebacker is right there. Front of day three is yeah. where I think I'd really like to see them uh, You know, add somebody at that position. Um, I, I think there's just too many other players on day two that could be there that are at more valuable positions that make sense. All right. Well, that does it. You're not going to hear from us for a couple of weeks, uh, mostly because of wedding and uh, vacations and the like, because although we love speaking to you virtually, we, we also love lives. Uh, and I love Spain is really what it comes <laughs> down to. So thanks so much for tuning in. It's been a hell of a day one ride. And yeah. for those of you who tuned into Facebook Live, thank you so much. We've got a merch store, as a reminder. Yes. You, Finally. If, if you are disgusted by the McGlinchey pick, I would recommend the hashtag about to throw up t-shirt that we have on the store. I feel like that's a good summation uh, of what a lot great. of fans were thinking. And, and yeah, it definitely check out the merch store. There's just a few days left, I think, to get your entries in for the $100 goodie bag. So... Get your entries in. You can win 100 bucks. And Matt Waldman, friend of the pod, ever so graciously also donated a 2018 RSP to the cause. And, and you might be thinking to yourself, rookie scouting portfolio, I've already, like, the draft is happening. What the hell's going on? Well, he's got a lot of fantasy stats in there, players that you should draft for Dynasty. And he goes super deep on a lot of the prospects in case you want to read up on how they, they graded out in, on film. So someone's going to get an RSP. Someone's going to get 100 bucks from the store. And if you win neither of those... You get a hashtag about to throw up t-shirt <laughs> so or a hashtag about to throw up onesie because babies throw up too i mean the perfect baby gift to be honest fair. like i can't think of anything better than that. fair so thanks again for tuning in it's been a great round one welcome new 49er mike mcglinchy and as always go niners Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? <laughs> and why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.